practicality of our reality, and that is the Holy Spirit is here. Uh, the Bible tells us he's in all of us who have welcomed him in us, not just around us, but he's in us, and he's always active. He's always active on our behalf. And so, Holy Spirit, would you give us ears to see, ears to hear, and eyes to see, and even the will to do what you ask us to do. So we look in your word this morning, we need the Holy Spirit to help us understand, we need the Holy Spirit to shine lights on what we need to understand. And we ask this on your name, amen. Hey, I want to start with this opening statement, and that's this, uh, Jesus wants to continue his ministry of healing through the lives of ordinary people like us. That's kind of the, the statement of the day, and I'll start with that. Jesus wants to continue his ministry of healing through ordinary people like us, all right? Now, let me just kind of give you some of the background from Jesus' ministry, and I'll just mainly, this is mainly from the book of Luke, just to get a sense of how important healing was to the ministry of Jesus. Now, healing, when I say that, wasn't just physical in, in the Hebrew sense, in the, in, the, in the Jewish sense. Healing, salvation was the whole person, all right? But here, so Luke chapter 4, Jesus, when his, Jesus stepped into ministry, he said this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and the time of the Lord's favor has come. Luke chapter 7, after John the Baptist asked, is Jesus, asked Jesus' disciples, are you the Messiah? And Jesus said, go back to John and tell him what you've seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news being preached to the poor. Luke chapter 9, one day Jesus called together his 12 disciples, and he gave them power and authority to cast out demons and heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Luke chapter 10, the Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. All right, I'm saying that because I've heard people say, oh, Jesus was all about serving poor people. 17, yes, but his message was heal the sick tell people about the kingdom of God. 17 different times in the gospel of Luke, we have healing accounts that Jesus healed people. And then in John 17, or John 14, I'll skip just to John. When John says to his disciples, and this is where I'm, I'm jumping onto this statement, he says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me, and we're part of that anyone, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. All right? So same statement, changing one thing. Go ahead, John. I put a question mark at the end. Does, does Jesus really want to continue his ministry of healing through the lives of ordinary people like us? And I, our heads, we say yes, but most of us would say our experiences are like, I don't know, don't really see it, haven't seen it, lot in large scale. I mean, that's me. I mean, I, I've never seen anybody's leg grow longer I've never seen, doesn't mean I don't think those, they happen, but I think you, if you're like me, we all have, we would put a question mark there, not because we don't think it's true, but because we just, it's not been our experience. Don't ever define God based on your experience. Let, let the, how the Bible tells us about God shape your expectation of what an experience can be, because Jesus is very clear he sent out the disciples, sent out the 72, and then he says to them, anyone, 
will do the things I, I've done. Anyone. And I think we're part of the anyone, right? So I started off with that. because So now we started a series a few weeks ago called The People of Pentecost. So Pentecost Sunday was a few weeks ago. So uh, that's why we don't necessarily follow this formally. But red tablecloth, red is always a sign of the Holy Spirit. And uh, so what I'm going to be doing over the next few months of the summer is looking at the ordinary people, ordinary lives of ordinary people who did extraordinary things because the Holy Spirit has poured out on them, all right? So we're all Pentecost people because um, we're post-Pentecost. We all have, if, if the experience of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit being poured out in people, that's us. So it's not just them. It's not just the Acts people. They're not, they're special, but they're not like other than human So today we're going to look at Acts chapter 3. This is actually one of my favorite healing passages. Um, But it's Peter and John. And uh, let me just give you the context. I'm just going to read the story. And I want you to do what I've asked you before. Try to imagine, uh, people call it Ignatian imagination. Ignatius was a church leader years ago. But it's just imagination. Put yourself in the story. All right, so the story's... Pentecost had already happened, so tongues of fire, just speaking in language they didn't learn. People heard people them praising God in their own languages. 3,000 people became Christians in one day because of Peter's sermon, not because of his sermon, because of the Holy Spirit. And then they become this incredible, generous community with one another. And it, the Bible even says in Acts chapter 2 that they, were, they did many signs and wonders. The people did, the, the, the apostles, ordinary people, all right? Acts chapter 3 just picks up on this. And let me just show you, I'm going to tell you two assumptions that I'm going to hope we all have. Assumption number one is uh, the invisible world is just as real as visible. We've, you've heard me say that before, but that's an assumption. The invisible world is real. There's something else going on than just wooden floors and my body and my ears and your voice. And that kind of, the invisible world is just as real as the visible It's a bedrock assumption. Some don't agree with that. I'm just saying I'm making that assumption. Second assumption is that we are all ordinary people who are thinking people, but we're also hungry people. We've had, maybe we're weary, we're maybe discouraged, we're maybe frustrated with God, but we're all thinking people. We're all hungry people and we want to understand what is it that means the Holy Spirit has been poured out into us. It's all right? So assumption one, the visible world's real. It's the weird meter. The weird meter, you know, there's things happen that we can't explain. But then second thing is that we're all thinking people, but we're hungry to see and experience spiritual realities in our everyday lives. All right? So... Um, this is Acts chapter 3. So just listen, and I'll kind of stop a few times to explain some things. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. So there were three times of the day that a good Jew would go to the prayer service. 9 o'clock in the morning, 3 in the afternoon, and sunset. So it was just, they, these, they were going through their regular spiritual religious motions. Yeah, it was post-Pentecost, but they still were devout Jews to pray. So They went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. 
Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the other people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them signs. Like, you know, when I was reading this this week, I read numerous times, I thought about, you see all the people that are, have signs like on street corners asking for money. You don't, you don't see them at churches, which I'm not sure they should or should. I'm just, it's, anyway, anyway, think about that. There, it's, this is a lame guy who's begging for money. He didn't have a cardboard sign. They didn't have a cardboard. didn't have markers. Peter and John are just on the regular routine of going to prayer. There's beggars always around because that's when they knew where to beg, just like people will beg on the street corners. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at him eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. Now, again, just I'll freeze frame here for a second. Actually, I'll freeze frame it back a second ago. The man asked for money. It says Peter and John looked at him intently. All right. I'm going to freeze frame there. What do you think is going on in Peter's head? You think he planned this? Or do you think maybe he's sensing God's about to do something and he's supposed to respond to that? I mean, it wasn't like Peter and John, they didn't have an agenda for the day. We're going to walk to the prayer meeting and heal somebody. But it stopped. It said he looked at this lame man intently. And I like to stop and think, what was Peter feeling? What was he thinking? What was the, of course, the, the lame man, he just thought, oh, money. I'll get some money out of these guys. All right? But then Peter says, get up and walk. And I'm sure the guy's probably like, that's odd. I wanted money. But Peter took his hand by the right hand and helped him up. As he did, the man's feet and ankles, remember, he was lame from birth. Feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking and leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. So just, I, I tend to think, I don't know why, but I think of like Peter Pan, you know, kind of the walking and leaping. But just think of a guy who's probably unshaven, probably in tattered clothes because he's a beggar, he's lame, but he stands up, and we're, we're all in the crowd, and all of a sudden this guy is not just walking around like this, like he's teetered and tottered. He's jumping up. He's dancing, and he's praising God. I think we would all be like, wow, what, what just happened? There'd be no human explanation for it. Because, again, if he was you know, tottering and teetering, oh, he's got some weak legs, he'll probably maybe get better. But, no, he's He's leaping. He's dancing, singing, praising God. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was this lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astonished. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade, which was a part of the temple complex, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Remember, at Pentecost, when the supernatural things happened, the crowd rushed to them. Now this another supernatural things happen, and the crowd rushed to them. It was supernatural realities that caused people to be drawn to something that God was going to do. 
And I'm saying that because that's, the, that's what the church is meant to be, a place where supernatural realities happen, not like necessarily ex- exclusively in this hour and a half time, but supernatural. We're, the church is a supernatural thing. We're not a political thing. We're not a moral thing. We're not a, uh, simply a religious institution. We are a institu- we, are, we are spiritual reality where spiritual things are meant to happen and should be expected to happen, not just here but throughout our lives, all right? So they all rushed in amazement and silence, Colorado, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Peter saw his opportunity. Second time, he did it at Pentecost. So Peter was an opportunist. He was an uneducated fisherman, but he kind of knew something. God was doing something. Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over. I mean, right at him. This is the same Jesus that you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this fact. Pretty bold of Peter. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Friends, I realize that what... Peter had no notes, right? He didn't have an iPad in front of him flipping through notes. He was uneducated. But he's speaking straight out of the heart from his own experience with Jesus. So, friends, I realize that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. But God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah that he must suffer these things. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come to you from the presence of the Lord, and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. For he must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through the holy prophets. Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. Listen carefully to everything he tells you. Then Moses said, anyone who doesn't listen to this prophet, talking about Jesus, will be cut off from God's people. Starting with Samuel, this is how it finishes, starting with Samuel, every prophet spoke about what is happening today. You are the children of those prophets, and you are included in the covenant of God's promise to your ancestors. For God said to Abraham, through your descendants, all the families on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, Jesus, he sent him first to you people of Israel to bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. One thing I'll just say up front on this, on Peter's sermon, thing with Pentecost, you can't help but notice it's clearly about Jesus. It's not about God. It's not about religion. It's not about American Christianity. It's not about waving a flag. It's not about good moral people. He talks about Jesus and their need for Jesus to do something significant in their life. And, and basically, and the reality that Jesus wants to bring them wholeness, bring them salvation. You'll notice Paul never talked to Peter in this sermon or Pentecost, never talked about getting into heaven after you die. Yes, that's a reality of salvation. That wasn't the message they preached. He didn't say, if you guys want to go to heaven after you die, you need to listen to what I'm saying. And he didn't say that. That's, yes, that's an important, that's a function of eternal life with God, a life with the Holy Spirit inside of you. But that wasn't the message. The message was Jesus Death on the cross, and you need to turn from your sins, and he will give you a time of refreshing. It wasn't turn from your sins or you'll go to hell. 
Again, I'm not saying those things may not be true, but it was turn from your sins and, and God will refresh you. It's not turn from your sins or else. It's turn from your sins and God will refresh you. So it's, 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 it's when you look at the sermons, especially like of Peter, it's, it's very Jesus-centered. It's very much about repentance, turning from sins, which sometimes that gets a bad bad rap because we see all these, you know, people that are like, repent, and they, 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 they shout that in anger. Repent, or God's going to, you know, pummel you to the earth and put you in hell. That wasn't the message of the, of the preachers, so to speak, in the, in the New Testament. Not Peter in this case. It was repent, and then times of refreshment. Turn away. The way you're living your life isn't working. You know it's not working, and you know Jesus is the centerpiece of what could make your life work turn and follow him and he will bring refreshing to your life so on the on the context of this passage there's three three phrases i've used many times at exodus in the past and maybe if you've been here recently you may have heard these phrases but they just came to my mind this week all right so the first one is this ordinary people one of the things early on with exodus i uh our, our mission statement or whatever was we're going to turn ordinary people into followers of Jesus. But I like the word ordinary because even with Peter and John, I didn't go to the next chapter, but in chapter 4, the Pharisees and the leaders of the religious law get mad because they're the ones that just killed, they're the ones that really had the hand of killing Jesus, you know, 50, 60, 70 days earlier. They get mad because... They're talking about this Jesus guy that raised from the dead. And they don't know what to do. They call Peter and John in. And it, if you think about it, it's almost comic. Here all these uh, religious guys are. And they're trying, what, what did you guys do, Peter and John? What did you do? Don't preach in the name of Jesus. But this lame man, they all knew who was lame for worth, is standing there. Probably just got done dancing or jumping. And then it says... When they saw the man standing there, and they, they, then they knew that Peter and John were ordinary, unschooled men. In other words, they haven't had the training we've had. And the word ordinary, it's actually, the, the, the Greek word is idiotes, right? What word do you think comes from that, right? These guys are unschooled, ordinary, backwater people. We can't say anything because this guy's been healed. And it said, but they also knew that these guys, Peter and John, they'd been with Jesus. So my point is, you don't need any special pedigree to pray for people's healing. And when I say healing, physical healing, I'm talking about emotional healing. Sometimes we just need healing from emotional scars. You don't need special training. You don't need seminary. You, don't, you need some knowledge of how God works and the Holy Spirit works. But Peter and John, yes, they had experience with Jesus, but they were not certified, right? We're all ordinary people. God, can, God does, God specializes, I think, in doing his work through the lives of ordinary people. People who don't think they have anything to offer God, people who don't have the titles or the, you know, doctor, reverend, PhD, whatever, they don't, that doesn't mean anything to God. His, his, his ordinary people who were receptive to what God wanted to do. So I'm saying that because any of us can pray for somebody's healing. Now, you might think, well, get the wacky stuff out of your head because the problem with 
how we talk about this is there's so much wacky stuff, whether it's on television or whatever, where, you know, somebody gets hit on the forehead and they fall over. And then, I, I mean, when I was growing up, there was a TV preacher who used to heal people. And my teenage friends and I would kind of mimic him because we thought it was just kind of goofy. And it was kind of goofy. I won't say it was. But, um, so ordinary people. So I'm saying that Peter and John, they even said they were ordinary people. And it was an ordinary day. They were just doing their routine. So takeaway number one, there may be an ordinary day where you as an ordinary person senses that God wants you to pray for someone in a way that feels awkward to you, all right? So ordinary days is when God often does incredible things through ordinary people. So that's the first thing. Second thing, hear and respond. There was a statement I've used at Acts. I haven't used it for a while, but if you think about the, the nature of what it means to be a mature follower of Jesus, mature follower of Jesus, the Bible seems to describe as one who can hear the voice of God and respond to what he's asking. He who has ears, let him hear. My sheep know my voice, they hear my voice, they follow me. So if, when you think about what it means to be a mature follower of Jesus, you could almost wrap, you could, you could wrap it in the phrase, Somebody who knows how to hear and respond to the voice of Jesus. I mean, when I think, when, when I think about kids' ministry at Exodus, I think, well, ultimately, we want our kids to start learning how to hear and respond to the voice of Jesus. That's what it means. It, being a Christian doesn't mean how to articulate uh, correct doctrine. That's important. Pharisees could do that, right? Pharisees could articulate correct doctrine. That's important, but what's most important to Jesus is can you hear and respond to my voice. So Peter and John were not told. Peter must have sent something that God wanted him to do at that moment. Because it's he probably passed this guy every day when he was in Jerusalem. If Peter went to prayer three times a day, this same guy was there. Jesus probably passed this guy by. When Jesus was in Jerusalem. Because if you're going to the temple to pray on the regular three times a day. Jesus was in Jerusalem many times. Peter was too. This same guy has been lame from birth. He's probably been there the whole time. Then you have the question, why didn't Jesus heal him sooner? That's a whole other issue. Let's not talk about that now. All right. But for some reason at that time, Peter sent something God telling him to do differently. It wasn't just Peter thinking, oh, it's a good time to showcase something. But it says Peter stopped and looked at him intently. And that's what I said in that freeze frame moment. What was Peter feeling, sensing, hearing? Must have been something that he knew this is not about money. This is about something we're able to ask God to do for this guy in a supernatural way. So don't, don't discount those, uh, what's, what's a good way to call it? Don't discount those moments in the day where you have a sense of, oh, I think, I think God wants me to do something here. I haven't told this story for a while, but I used to, used to get our oil changed at Midas. Don't anymore. Not a knock on Midas. It's just we'd go somewhere else. And there was a time I was there, and I was uh, paying the bill or something like that. And I had this sense, and maybe you've had this sense. I've had this sense from God, you need to give this woman $50. I mean, she wasn't, like, good-looking, so I wasn't hitting on her, right? So I was like, so what did I do? I got in my car and drove away. Because I was like, that was a weird thought. Where did that thought come? And then I actually said, God, was that you? Because it's an odd thought. I wasn't thinking about 
giving her money, and she kind of has a kind of had a weary, kind of a haggard look to her. Like, so I drove around for a while. Then I drove to the ATM and I got fifty dollars. And I went back in, and I'm just like, not trying to be weird. Jesus wants you to have that, and God wants you to know He loves you. And I almost sprinted out of there. I was like so embarrassedly weird. But it was, but then I got in my van and I felt like I was like, I love that, right? I, and it was an ordinary day. I was planning just to get my car. What I'm saying is those things happen. You probably had those things happen where you have the sense of, well, that's weird. What? What a coincidence. Maybe it wasn't a coincidence. Maybe it was God. All right. Some of those things. One thing, something like that happened to me recently, where I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. And then you have to figure out, are you going to respond? Or are you just going to hold it in the weird, that's weird. That's why I say, well, if you have a thought of God asking you to do something that's, that's life-giving to somebody else, not if you have a thought about, you know, yelling at somebody. <laughs> if it's life-giving, but it feels weird, it might be God. Just ask him, God, is that you? If that's not you, this is how I say it. God, if that's not you, get that thought, wipe it from the screen of my mind. If it is you, etch it in stone so I can't shake it off. Even if I shake the etch a sketch hard enough, it won't go away. And if that thought of, you need to give this lady money, you need to tell her God loves you, you need to pray for the person or whatever, if that thought doesn't go away, it's most likely God. And even if it's not, you're going to be doing good for somebody else, why not take the risk? Peter and John did. The whole book of Acts, these guys, they're, they're doing things where it's like they had to hear and they had to do something. All right? So hear and respond. That's what we want to be with those kind of people. Last one is this. Uh, stretch beyond comfort. We've had that, I've used that phrase before. That the life of faith is one where we stretch beyond comfort. Sometimes I've had a, a rubber band, a big one, and I'll pull and pull and pull. And if you were doing it, you'd be the same like me. You're like, oh, sooner or later, it's going gonna, it's gonna to break. It's going to snap. It's going to hurt my fingers. All right. But every godly woman or man throughout the Bible, God stretched them beyond the comfort level. And then they experienced incredible things that God did in their lives. Whether it's Abraham, whether it's the disciples doing things, whether it's Ruth and the old. I mean, there's all kinds of people who God stretched them. Faith is... Faith ultimately is being stretched because Hebrews says it's faith of being able to believe in what we don't see. So Peter and John stretch beyond comfort in this ordinary day, unplanned moment. And, and if you're like me, my, my, one of my first thoughts would be, well, what if he doesn't get up and walk? Then I'll feel really stupid. What if he does? And again, it wasn't a random thing. It wasn't like Peter and John said, okay, today we're going to find somebody to pray for for healing. So you can't necessarily plan for it to happen. You have to wait for it to happen because God's going to show you who to pray for. It may not be healing like lame to walking, but it might be somebody. I think some of you would understand what I'm talking about. There's times when I'm riding my bike up and down the Beeline Trail. That's what I do a lot. And you've done that during the day or walked down the day, there's people there that seem to have significant mental health issues, right? They're talking to themselves, they're yelling, they're swearing, and they're not talking to anybody else. And uh, I actually, every time I pass one, I, I kind of think, God, you, am I supposed to 
pray for them? I stopped one time and asked somebody, can I, can I do something for Oh, no, no, I'm okay, okay. But I don't know. There, every time I pass them by, I think, am I being like the, the religious leader in the Good Samaritan story? Am I supposed to at least offer to pray for them? I may not be able to fix their life right now, but they don't, they don't need their life fixed by what I can do, my money or my time. They need the spirit of Jesus, and that's what we have to offer. Isn't that what we have to I mean, that's, that's what the church has to offer. Yes, we want to help people, financial issues. But ultimately, what we have to offer is not we're good moral people who like to do good deeds for others. What we have to offer is we have the life-giving spirit of Jesus in us. And when he asks us to, we can pray for someone. And something that's blocking or broken in their heart can be healed. I do believe in physical healing. I want to see something significant before I die, but I believe that God still does that just because it has been my experience. I haven't seen it happen in dramatic ways. I believe it happens. But I know that spiritual heartbrokenness healing happens. And, but it's going to require you and I to stretch beyond comfort at times. And I, wasn't, I, had my, I had an agenda of what I wanted to do today, and now this person... And usually stretch beyond comfort usually means stretch beyond my own convenience. I... Uh, we had a neighbor one years ago. We had a neighbor who wasn't a Christian. He was a single guy, and he came over to my house one time to fix our stove because he was a, he was an electrical engineer. I'm grateful for those people. So anyway, he was fixing the stove, and I wanted him to hurry up because I had not yet bought Kathy her Christmas presents yet, and that was my time frame to do it. I had like two hours to get away from Kathy and the kids. So he's done, and I'm just like, good, good, good. Then he says, "Hey, I have a question for you," and I'm thinking, "Okay, what's about my stove or what?" And he goes. Why did Jesus have to die? And I'm just like, oh, man, I want to go shopping right now. I mean, really, I think some of you might be able to relate to that. I want to go shopping right now, but I know this is a moment. Like I said, Peter saw the opportunity. I knew it was a moment that God said, this is an opportunity. Shopping for your wife can wait. Your agenda can wait, right? We had a really good conversation. He didn't necessarily, but later in life, he became a Christian. We found out after he moved away. But... Peter saw an opportunity. You know, I, my, my prayer for each one of us is that we'll see the opportunity when God puts it out in front of us on an ordinary day where we're going through an ordinary agenda accomplishing what we think is just our normal day. I'm going to pray that God will open the eyes of our hearts so we can see the opportunities, be willing to stretch, take a risk. If you think it's God, see what happens. Because, again, what we have to offer is the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. That's no small thing, right? So let me pray. I want you to do this in a second. I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes closed. I'm going to ask you to just repeat five words. Five-word prayer to Jesus, all right? The prayer is going to be, Jesus, help me see an opportunity, all right? Maybe it's today, maybe it's this week, I don't know. Jesus, help, that's six words, sorry. Jesus, help me see an opportunity, all right? So repeat that after me, all right? I'm going to say one, two, three, and we're all going to say it together. Jesus, help me see an opportunity, all right? One, two, three. Jesus, help me see an opportunity. So Jesus, we ask that uh, somewhat because <laughs> they're repeating because I ask them to, but also when, even when I say it, I say that with a little bit of apprehension because I don't want you to give me an opportunity that's going to be inconvenient for me or weird or awkward, but I do. 
I do want to see that in my life. I think everybody here wants to see that. We want to see an opportunity, whether it's a small gesture from the Holy Spirit through us to another, or it's a big gesture, prayer through us, through the Holy Spirit. We want to be that. So God, would you open our eyes even this week so we see an opportunity that might cost us time or energy or even reputation, but we want to be people who see the opportunity like Peter and John did. Pray and have confidence that the Holy Spirit is actively, powerfully at work and can change people's lives. Uh, We believe in the Holy Spirit. The old creed says he's the Lord and the giver of life, so we want to, we're carriers of the words, we're his ambassadors. So we love you, Jesus. Um, help us follow in the footsteps of you, Jesus, but also in the footsteps of Peter and John, who seem to have no fear about what it means to listen to what you're saying and then stretch. And we ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.